everybody. You're kicking it with the homeboys and the homeboys podcast where we talk everything in the world of real estate investing. Whether you're just getting started or a seasoned vet, we're going to give you over 40 years of combined real estate experience to help you on your investing journey. Today, we've got a very intriguing topic. We are talking about our three biggest mistakes that we have made in real estate. And we're going to share how to avoid those. Now, keep in mind, Clint and I have not shared each other's uh, with each other what our three biggest mistakes are. So some of them may be the same and some may be different. So anywhere between three and six of the biggest mistakes are headed your way here. And then we're going to tell you what you should do to not be like us and make those mistakes. Your sheet's blank, isn't it? You've never made a mistake, have you? Well, I heard I had, but uh, I think it, it was that mistake. No, it was that person's mistake. Ah, okay, I got yeah. you. <laughs> I thought that, that that your side maybe it's maybe a very short podcast. That uh, well, I think we know. both know this could be a very long podcast for both of us because oh gosh, I mean my mistake list is as long as Santa's list. So it's uh, you know, I tried to just pick three. Um, that stood out to me the most, but this does not constitute the total, you know, level of mistakes that I have made in my investing in real estate career. Nor I, and I have no shame about these mistakes. I have, I have learned so much from my mistakes. Um, now I hope the listeners who are listening to this don't have to make these mistakes and listen close to these so that it doesn't happen to them. But at the same time, I'm proud that I dove into real estate and learned stuff and did stuff the hard way. Um, you know, th- this is not a mistake, but passing up on real estate out of fear would have been the biggest mistake possible. And I didn't make that mistake. I dove in and I made mistakes. I don't regret any of that. I don't regret it at all. Before we get going, I think it's important that, you know, we see so often where People become students of real estate investing, but then they don't ever get started. You know, and if if you're going to do that, don't waste your time. Don't get started. If you're only going to be a student and not pull the trigger, it's not worth it. You know, we talk about it when we went on some of those speaking circuits, and you'd see the same uh, poor guy, you know, year after year after year, going to these inv- events and asking you questions, yet never doing anything. So don't be scared of mistakes. Mistakes are inevitable and jump in and do it. You know, you've got to get started at some point and don't let these mistakes, you know, be a, a reason why you don't do it. Learn from some of the mistakes that uh, the, the homeboys have made here. And, you know, maybe your list will be a lot shorter than ours whenever you get 25 years in. But at least like you'll that. have a list. You will have done um, real estate. And like I said, I don't regret a single piece of real estate that I own, no matter how big the mistake was. I, I, every single mistake I've made has been worth it. I don't have a single, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of houses I wouldn't ever buy again for a good reason, but at the same time, I don't regret any of the bad decisions. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to just kind of trade back and forth? What's your number one? one, I do one. Yeah, go, you start. Uh, All right. My number one, and we've talked about it um, on the show and we've talked about it on some of our short form content on TikTok is selling too many homes. That is my uh, that is my number one. Oh, that's my number two. How crazy is that? Okay. I, I, I put it as selling personal houses. So yeah. the the list is uh, is getting shorter. So uh, stay with us. We only got a couple minutes left in the podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, but anyhow. We, we posted some short form content where I, I started saying, don't ever 
sell your house. That was a little bit um, dramatic, you know, by saying don't ever, but we were serious about, we see investors all the time get caught up in ringing the register that they sell way, way too early or sell and you know, that money's then gone and the, you know, the investment would have been worth so much more had a person hold on to it. You know, I'm in my 13th, I'm just going to talk about personal residence, my, my personal residence, not even just our investments, but my personal residence. Um, early in my career, I would buy a foreclosure, live in it and fix it up, uh, would move. I've moved quite a bit. I'm in my 13th home since 2001. And if I just look back on the personal residences that that I sold, it's deflating, you know, and the, 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 the big thing that, you know, we got, uh, the comments we got on short form on TikTok was, well, I've got to have a down payment for my next, for my next house. And well, let me clarify you know, what you're saying. Cause I, I don't think you were clear about we are talking about the house that you live in when you're ready to move to that next property, that next level up house, or if you change jobs, we're talking about keeping the house that you're currently in and turning it into a rental just to clarify. And I meant selling in general, you know, not just your personal residence, you know, there's a lot of investments that I wish I held also, but, but yes, the easiest way hack, if you will, is have a plan to not sell your personal residence. Yeah. And, and all it takes is a little bit of pre-planning. You just have to know that for your next house, you're going to have to have a down payment again. Um, you know, and there's ways you can do it. You can do a home equity line of credit if, if the property you're in is a, appreciated enough. There's a lot of ways to do it. But if you plan ahead, this is the easiest way to build up a rental portfolio without the hardest part, which is acquiring good rental properties. You already own that house, so it makes it easy. And I regret every house that I've ever sold, just like Clint. So I regret every rental I've ever sold too. But. I've given this example before, you know, um, I had a house in downtown Indianapolis, um, a bachelor pad. Um, and I don't know, I made a very, very good profit on it. And I thought that that was, you know, the, the thing to do would be to ring the register on that. But, um, I bought that place for 50,000 of all, you know, back in 05, held it for a long time, then finally renovated it, put a hundred and fifty ish, and it sold it for over five hundred thousand. Um, last summer, it sold for almost one point one million. And I don't know. I I should have had. I wish I had kept that. Put a plan together. You know, there's always another way of you know not reading the register and taking that money. I know everyone's gets short sighted. Oh, I need the money for the next one. Well, you know, my next house didn't didn't really need you know that much work, and you know. I, I don't know. I didn't have to have that money for that is what I'm saying. If you have a plan and that's what you said, you know, with a little bit of planning, you can keep all of your personal residences. If you are leveling up or if you're moving to a different area, you can, you can keep it. And, yeah. you know, that was my biggest mistake. I would probably have just hung everything up by now. Had I just kept those 13 homes that, uh, yeah, that I had. And we've seen it too with, uh, I mean, Think of the investment properties we had in uh, in Cape Coral, Florida. Right. You know, and all the money right. that uh, that we lost out, you know, by selling too early there. Yeah, there's a couple million dollars just mm -hmm. gone right there that we didn't hold them. Well, 
my next, my next, um, my next one is I'm going to go with my number three one because it's, it ties into this one a little bit, which is not ripping the bandaid off fast. When I'm, when I have a problem property or a bad property, it's, I regret that I tried to make it work longer than I should have. And it's, it's something that I think is, um, understandable for most investors that they will try to make a bad property work longer than they should. So, it's kind of the opposite of point one where we regret selling, you know, every house at the same time, there are bad properties that you buy and hopefully you won't ever have this problem. You'll buy good properties in good areas. But if you make a mistake and you have a bad property in a bad area that isn't going the right direction and maintenance, is, maintenance is a nightmare because it's just a nightmare of a house, rip that bandaid off fast. I like that advice. I mean, you're saying that, and I'm picturing several of uh, you know my properties that you know that I just really, really struggled with for a number of years, and you know what we have a, a viral uh, TikTok on one of my houses where the tenant um, you know ripped me off because there was only one water meter and kept the the water going. That was not the only problem with that house. I mean, as you know, I do the whole story. There were many, many, many problems with that house. Um, and, you know, I've got several others. Uh, we have one right now. We haven't ripped the Band-Aid off. We keep kicking down in Boonville, Indiana. A great town. Awesome town. We bought a property that we thought needed about $30,000 rehab. It needs $130,000 worth of rehab. And we, <laughs> as much as we're laughing, this is actual fact. And True. we've owned this house for over a year now and haven't, I've never even seen it. Clint's never seen it. And no, we've done I nothing. See, with it. I see the numbers on paper and shake my head um, at least just once a there. month. Um, you know, yeah, it's, uh, we're at least conscious of it and know what we need to do. We just haven't, we just haven't done it. Um, so so don't do that. Don't buy a house yeah, we and then take just our forget own, about it. We got to take our own advice here. Like we we've got to do something. We've got to rip that bandaid off. That property yeah. in Boonville. We have or, a client who wants it, and it's going. It would be a really amazing house if we fixed it up. I just don't want to have to spend one hundred thirty thousand dollars of our hard earned money to get it across the line. And so anyway, we don't have to solve yeah, it on that's air. That's a lot. That's but. a lot. And you know, a lot can go wrong when you're talking with rehab numbers of that, of that size. It was just why we have yeah. decided not to, not to do it. Our resources have been you know, elsewhere. However, you know, we could have just taken the, the hit and probably lost $30,000 and just sold it outright and been done with it. It's probably what we should have done. Right. But um, you know what? The windshield's a heck of a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. If we're back here in 60 days on another podcast talking about some crap property we have in Boonville, Indiana, then there's a problem. Yeah, that, that is the truth. We, we've admitted our problem. That's the first step. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> now we have to do something about Correct. it. Correct. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's fabulous advice. Um, we also had a, a number of, um, there was a really bad situation that happened here in Indianapolis there was a company that was providing investment homes that uh, was doing it dishonestly. And you've really got to do your research whenever you're looking for uh, a turnkey company. And uh, these folks thought that they were buying fully rehabbed houses that were producing rents. Um, they weren't, the houses had not been rehabbed. And in fact, there was one case where a person bought a house that had burnt down 60 days prior, but even the ones that the house did exist they all of those homes that they thought that were fully rehabbed needed fifty thousand dollars worth of work, and those those 
those uh, you know, poor clients would were coming to us to try to pick the pieces up, and they weren't willing to either put the money that needed to go into the property or just dump the property and be done with it. Um, you know, I think a lot of them are probably still struggling today. You know, it's a nightmare situation. You can look it up. There was a, a major news anchor for uh, you know Fox and Friends that was was part of this whole this whole scam. It was uh, you know devastating for sure. And um, I, as we said, we understand that waffling that they do because we've done it ourselves many times, and we're doing it right now with a property. But um, you only hurt yourself. And, and in this case, I'm talking to us as much as I'm talking to our listeners, pull that bandaid off, get rid of that house, take your lumps and move on to the next great property to recover from. Also, don't let this kick you out of the game. Do not sit on the sidelines over one bad deal. You, you, for every one bad deal, if you're doing this right and really focused on long-term cash flowing rental properties, you will win as long as you're in the game. You just win and win and win as long as you're in the game because time is your best friend with that you don't have to be the smartest person on the planet you don't even have to have the best properties on the planet it works the tenant pays your mortgage down for you properties appreciate over time and it is a system that simply works and it makes you money so what's your next one well um thankfully this was this was goes back to earlier in my career but we still have issues with this from time to time and that is trusting contractors um, whenever I first started in real estate, I first started, I should, I should go back a little bit further. I did a lot of the work myself. I was buying houses that didn't require a bunch of work. The market allowed, allowed me to do that back, um, shortly after, uh, the turn of the century. Um, you know, that's not the case anymore, but, uh, the, but once I started hiring contractors, wait, you just said turn of the century and I'm sitting here thinking, what are you talking about? You weren't alive in 1899. We're so, I'm so old. I'm just sorry. That just hit me. There was a whole millennium. There was a thing, whole, you know, yeah. That, that, that transpired. Yeah, a century passed right. since then. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, Y2K when the world was about yeah. to end and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah there was a circle spinning uh, like <laughs> above my head trying to con. <laughs> it does sound kind of wild, but, uh, but anyhow, I did, you know, start to use contractors several years into my career and I wanted to trust people. Like I, and I think that, you know, a lot of people general, genuinely want to see the good in people. And I don't think I realized that having a contractor license was a license to steal in a lot of ways that there's just so many um, bad ones out there that, you know, I can, I can remember several um, in particular, you know, this one bastard that uh, uh, I paid you know money for uh for the flooring for a place. And he literally just took the money and like never returned my calls again. Um, actually saw that, that, that guy out at a, um, bowling alley, the bowling alley, not too long ago. I was there to see a friend of mine's band was playing. I didn't say anything because it would have been hard for me to have kept my cool. That was 20 years later, 15 yeah. years later. But, uh, but you know, whenever you're getting into business with, with contractors, make sure that you, have really vetted them. You have asked for references. You have, um, you know, put uh, the proper legalities in place with contracts and draw schedules and all of that, because there are many more bad contractors out there than good ones. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, if, if you're 
doing real estate full-time, you're going to have a lot of contractors come and go. And on the other side of this same coin is when you find a good contractor, hold on to them, hold on to them, treat them right. And it will serve you very well. Treat Um, them right. And not, and don't be scared. If you feel like you're paying, um, you know, 5% more with somebody that you trust, as opposed to going some discount route, don't think about it. You know, sometimes the cheapest ends up being the most expensive. I want to say that again. Sometimes the cheapest ends up being the most expensive. And how many times you, you get a crazy low bid from a contractor? They're just trying to get your business uh, for you to sign on the dotted line and then, you know, do a million change orders or take your money and walk off or do really, really, really shoddy work. And then you've got to redo the property anyway. So be cautious. Scott and I talk about it on the show all the time. You know, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. So if you're seeing crazy high returns on houses, then I would be very cautious. In fact, I would run for the hills because if there's a crazy return on a house right now, something's up. Kind of the same thing with contractors. Great points. Well, my last one is pretty simple. It's buying houses in bad areas. Okay. Whether, well, this is our last topic. Though. Okay, that's yours too. Mm-hmm. And and I mean um, buying any house in, in a bad area. It can be a great house in a bad area. It's even worse if it's a bad house in a bad area. And by bad area, I mean even an area where you're speculating that it's going to turn around. There's a lot of people out there that have bought in bad areas because they say, well, it's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. And you'll hear all the great stories for the one out of 10 where it did turn around. But everybody who bought in the other nine areas that didn't make it, that they thought were going to make it, they keep their mouths shut. So everything you hear out there about, oh yeah, you just buy in an area before it, before it, uh, you know, rides that wave up and changes. Well, you're, you're, that's a 10% chance you'll get that right. That's it at best 10%. And the reason that you think that it's more common than it is, is again, the people that speculated in an area where it worked, they'll, they'll scream to the clouds about how great it is and, and how it all worked. But the other nine people, they just kind of keep their mouth shut. So you fail more than you succeed if you're doing speculative stuff. But Regardless of even if it's not speculative stuff, if you just think a property is a deal because it's cheap, it will burn you. It will burn you. I'm glad you brought that up because I was getting ready. I was sitting over here waiting to, to, to say something about that. Um, there are homes in Indianapolis that we could have bought for a couple of thousand dollars. Let's just call it $5,000 15 years ago. And there's a lot of people that are listening to this. Like a, I know we have a lot of listeners in um, California and Texas and some of the, you know, the bigger markets that they're going to say, oh, yeah, right, $5,000. They were everywhere. You could buy houses for $5,000 all over town in 2003, 4, 5, 6, 7. Uh, they're everywhere. And at $5,000, those houses did not work, not even close to working. You bought it for $5,000, you put lipstick on a pig and put you know $20,000 into it, you rented it out for $700, you are thinking, oh wait, those are great numbers, and I'm talking numbers from 15 years ago. In those areas, you cannot find a good quality tenant. It's not going to happen. I don't care um, if you have a property manager out there who says, oh yeah, we can, we can make it happen in this area. They're lying. You know, Nobody can make it work. Um, so you get on the cycle of death. You fix up the property, you tenant it, 
then you evict, and then you just stay on that that nasty circle of fixing the property back up and having having tenants tear your property apart. So if it did not work at five thousand dollars in two thousand five, I can assure you it will not work at ninety thousand dollars in 2023, which is what those areas are. Mm-hmm. I, I, $90,000 in our market is a very dangerous price point because there are a, a smattering, a small amount of decent properties that, are, that you could still kind of get real close to that. But $90,000 is, that's the trouble zone. So you got to know your market a little bit, know where, know where that threshold is that you need to stay away from and I promise you, you will never regret buying a better house and getting just a tiny bit smaller return. Um, you will always do better. Spend that extra money. And keep in mind, most clients and most investors, they leverage. So you're talking about a 30-year mortgage, a 15-year mortgage. So you spend 10 grand extra to get out of those areas into nice areas. That 10 grand over a 30-year period is going to cost you like 10 bucks a month. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's worth it. You know, don't go cheap. Don't go too cheap on investment properties. I think my personal opinion is there's going to be a big wave um, with those types of homes that, that we're talking about. We've seen this, this uh, ramp up from $5,000 to, you know, call it $100,000 in 15 years. And I can assure you, those properties aren't working from a rental standpoint. So whether it be a hedge fund or whether it be um, a, a mom and pop investor type, at some point they are going to start pulling the plug on those, you know, D class investments, um, and it's going to bring it's going to bring that market down. And there aren't enough owner occupants to absorb those when it when it happens because the the folks who live in those areas unfortunately typically don't have good enough credit to be able to buy it as an owner occupant. So you you know you go back to that same cycle these neighborhoods have seen over and over before, where investors come in, buy them all up, fix them up, and uh, spend the next ten years trying to make them work, and then dump them, and it goes right back where it is. I sure would not want to be holding one of those hot potatoes when that happens, and it will happen. We don't know when, but it will happen. That part is almost guaranteed. So don't buy in bad areas. Don't buy in bad areas. Keep keep every house you can keep your personal houses for sure. And when you make a mistake and you buy a property that doesn't have good returns or is in a worse area than you realized, rip that bandaid off and sell that baby. I think we should uh, expand on this podcast and get, you know, do a few uh, short form content and throw some examples up of some of these mistakes that we've talked about. I can find pictures of some of the houses I can find different things i mean you know i enjoy you know one of the cool things i think about being like having this podcast with you is it allows us to go down memory lane Mm -hmm. whether it's good or bad well i what if you're listening to this and you want to see some examples of of the mistakes that clint and i have made go over to our tiktok page and we've posted a lot of content on there with actual examples and uh, interesting stories on stuff that has gone wrong 
Um, you know, I, I can think of a handful of TikToks just about uh, where a tenant came in and, and literally chainsawed, sawzawed all of the doors and windows out of a, out a house. So if you're not on our TikTok page, go check those out because there's some real examples on that page showing you what we're talking about here today. And I, I think you'll get a kick out of some of that content too. You can also find us on YouTube Shorts if that happens to be your preferred mode of social media. But uh, but anyhow, we've enjoyed going down memory lane with you. Don't make the same mistakes the homeboys have. Until next time, happy investing.